blue. Good evening. It's a little after 6.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Welcome to another edition of Gray Matters here on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. Oh, late breaking news. Scott Walker is dropping out of the race. (laughs) This is almost comical. Uh, I wasn't even going to talk about this, but (laughs) since I don't think we'll have a chance to talk about Scott Walker anymore unless he is somehow... Amazingly, a named as a VP, nominee. or is involved in some bizarre behind-the-scenes uh, deal uh, in the Merck of Wisconsin. Yeah, right. Uh, Merck probably is trying to patent the <laughs> latest uh, Republican debate. That was definitely an insomnia cool. event. Almost and, entirely fact-free, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Scott Walker was the star of the insomnia show. Uh, anyway, apparently he, I, I don't know that he's officially resigned, but I heard a late-breaking story uh, that he's going to drop out of the race. Uh, he's been plummeting in the polls. Ironically, the beneficiary, probably from his uh, demise at this point, is nobody because he's down into asterisk <laughs> territory. Oh, I think everybody benefits just a little, uh, speaking for all Americans, when Scott Walker drops out of the race. But uh, I think Ben Carson probably benefited uh, over the last month uh, with uh, Scott Walker going down. In fact, there was a kind of an interesting uh, 
poll showing how most of these candidates have actually been fading and falling. Uh, Bobby Jindal, by the way, just for the record, <laughs> is it zero percent with an asterisk? <laughs> Margin of error. I think the only people in America in favor of his candidacy are his children. And even that's debatable. Right. But anyway, Scott Walker, uh, the only thing interesting about his sort of uh, fade from glory, if you want to call it that, uh, I think it's a reminder that it's very difficult to win uh, a presidential nomination on an issue nobody cares about, union busting. Uh, of course, they care passionately about it uh, if uh, they're in the unions in Wisconsin. Or they're one of the Koch brothers. But since the red states have no unions, or very few unions, in our so-called right-to-work states, this is Scott Walker's uh, <clears throat> glorious accomplishment in office. I just have never seen that as a <laughs> winning issue in, in any way, shape, or form. At the end of the day, Scott Walker was dull, drab, dour, and dumb. That sums it up pretty well. And boy, the Koch brothers put their money on an old nag. <laughs> so uh, I guess they're the big losers. I think they've uh, <coughs> been uh, pinched about $30 million of uh, super PAC money. Walker looked like an early... Uh, Winner favorite because he was leading in Iowa for so long due to his uh, proximity to the state. He was born there. It may have been uh, something to do with a little confusion over uh, Walker, Texas Ranger, the old TV show that some people may have oh, yeah. mistaken him for. <laughs> and, of course, Walker had uh, sort of marketed the concept that he was going to go to all 99 counties. I don't know how many he actually made, but... Uh, it was kind of amusing just to read what he said after the second debate. Uh, of course, he complained that he wasn't asked a lot of questions, and apparently there's documentary factual proof that he wasn't. But uh, it's interesting that his, his quote in the New York Times the next day was, I'm going to plant a flag in Iowa. Well, I think the flagpole got put up, but <laughs> there was no flag. Maybe uh, just a chair up on top. They couldn't find a white one anywhere in the Republican Party. Uh, so he's gone, and uh, his decline is remarkable um, in some ways. Uh, the New York Times had a kind of what is known as a longitudinal poll that they published last week right before the debate in which 1,261 adults were interviewed between September 9th and September 13th. And Walker had gone from 10% in uh, a month earlier, August, basically 9th through 13th, to 2%. So that is a remarkable decline just <laughs> before the second debate. So... Uh, the flagpole is, is sitting somewhere near Iowa State, I'm sure. One wonders what might be on the actual flag in his mind when he says that, you know, rhetorical statement, I'm going to plant a flag. Which flag? A Wisconsin flag? A don't tread on me flag? What kind of flag are you talking about? Maybe uh, a, a flag with the text of the U.S. Constitution on it. 
because it seems like none of these uh, knuckleheads has any familiarity with the document at all. Ben Carson's uh, great proclamation that uh, a Muslim candidate for president, should one ever emerge, uh, would not be compatible with the Constitution. Um, no specific religion is mentioned at all yeah. in the Constitution. Of course, if you're familiar with the history of our Constitution's development, you know that was intentional, purposeful, and very carefully constructed that way. Sure. The First Amendment is about the Establishment Clause, so right. to speak. And uh, Scott Walker, of course, famously uh, earlier this year, in an incredible faux pas of sorts, went to Great Britain to, as the saying goes, burnish his foreign policy credentials, where he gave some interviews on the BBC that were uh, lackluster as an understatement. I mean, why did he do that? Because it didn't work for Mitt Romney when he went abroad to right. uh, look presidential. It didn't work for Bob Dole either. No. But uh, Walker's famous uh, sort of... I think epitomized his whole problem. He was asked a question about evolution, and he didn't want to answer the question. Like, he didn't want to say yay or nay. He wanted to say, well, I'm not going to take a position on that, which is just kind of like, well, who are you satisfying by not taking a position on evolution? It strikes me that you're either pro or con. You either believe it or you don't. Um, sort of like the death penalty. I don't know how you can be neutral on it. <laughs> but well, uh, he's he's the classic guy who doesn't like our own lovable Rick Snyder who doesn't want to take a position on anything because well, you know, that's for voters to decide. Yeah. Uh I don't want to say anything that might in some way be held against me by those who are part of my core constituency or those who might want to attack me over this issue. So it's the ultimate failure of uh Courage. Yeah, and Walker didn't have a money problem. Um, many candidates, of course, have to drop out. I think Rick Perry, a couple of weeks ago, that was definitely a fact in that uh, decision, as well as low low poll numbers. But uh, he didn't have a money problem. He just had a kind of, uh, he didn't have a fire in the belly situation. He He didn't really establish any justification in the public's mind within the Republican Party why he wanted to be president or why he should be president. He was sort of resting on this superficial accomplishment of union busting in Wisconsin. And at the end of the day, not only did he put the, his supporters to sleep, he put himself to sleep. <laughs> so good riddance to Scott Walker. I don't think his support is, is going anywhere uh, in, in terms of momentum. Uh, probably we'll watch Bobby Jindal's number. Yeah, I might go from. I wouldn't say numbers, but zero with two asterisks, <laughs> which means he's he's jumped in the asterisk part of the poll. Uh, of course, what's interesting about this longitudinal poll is that it shows Fiorina and Kasich are the two candidates that have gone up, along with Ben Carson, surprisingly. So while everyone else has gone down, Trump basically st stays sort of the same with the uh, momentum factor. Bernie Sanders way up, because they have some uh, Democratic uh, analysis uh, as well in this poll. But I think the important thing uh, also about this poll is uh, 
when they asked voters, both Democrat and Republican, is your mind made up or is it too early to say for sure? Uh, only 37% of Republicans said their mind had been made up and 63% said too early. So you get an idea there that that's kind of a rough three-eighths, five-eighths kind of situation. These numbers are changeable. Uh, Marco Rubio has sort of stayed even, hasn't gone up or down, but all the other candidates have gone down rather noticeably uh, with the exception of Ted Cruz and Mike Huckabee. So stay tuned for future results. As for the debate, I think you were absolutely correct. Not only was it somewhat dull, it was fact-free. And uh, it's frightening that, that public officials can get away with this kind of nonsense. Frankly, I thought John Kasich um, clearly, once again, showed that he's got some understanding of what's actually going on in the world. There was a lot of hoopla about the Iran deal. Um, this is a foreign policy initiative. This has got nothing to do with treaties or anything like that. Ted Cruz is going to tear it up the day he becomes president, uh, which I don't think is going to happen. <laughs> That's a long shot. He's not going anywhere in the polls either. Uh, polls at this point, by the way, have proven to be somewhat immaterial anyway. Back in well, 2008, Rudy Giuliani was holding a substantial—and Fred Thompson, who has some analog analogies to— to Scott Walker in terms of the uh, fire in the belly issue. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's some element, by the way, just to kind of wrap this this up, we don't need to refact check all of the Republican uh, misstatements. I think that the f continuing fraud about the Planned Parenthood video is very unfortunate. And it's even remarkable that there's open discussions of actually shutting down the, the government over this. Well, yeah, that's a good uh, transitional item to mention because, of course, uh, Fiorina, who's said to have be one of the winners of this non-event debate, uh, this is one of her main talking points. Yeah. Um, and it's a sort of a ludicrous redesignation of the true content of the images that she's exploiting. It's like fake atrocity photos. Right. That, uh, is a classic uh, agitprop maneuver. Um but there's this uh, possibility that Boehner might even be overturned as a Speaker of the House within his own party, front page of the uh, Times uh, last Friday. Uh, even though he's been a long-term foe of abortion, uh, his lack of a willingness to maybe go ahead with this harebrained scheme to shut down the government again, this time over Planned Parenthood funding, which, by the way, is five hundred million dollars uh, out of a budget that's about almost two trillion. Uh, this, and and this, this tra strategy has worked so well for Republicans in the past. Yeah, and when you it's bizarre, you, know, you hear Carly Fiorini, who was, as you say, sort of by the punditocracy declared the winner of the debate, um, actually talk openly about the fact that the American military isn't feared that we need to bolster defense spending substantially. I think this is all mythology. 
Uh, the American yeah. military is exceedingly effective at what they do. The problem with the war strategy of the United States over the past 40 years is that it, it is over-reliant on air power and under-reliant on the, the problem of the ground forces. Probably the biggest international development this past week, by the way, was the Russian uh, Putin and uh, the Russian government has put uh, air power on the ground in Syria and is now attacking ISIS with sorties, with air power, uh, a la what America's doing. It's quite clear that a substantial international conference needs to be held to discuss substantially what what needs to be done about Syria because Syria is an obvious humanitarian disaster. It's for five years and running now? Yeah, and it's part of this silly social media hoopla that we got back in 2011 about the Arab Spring. Uh, the Arab Spring has produced nothing but chaos uh, in, in this region. Uh, it is, was pointed out, I think, quite appropriately on the BBC, for instance, last week, that Gaddafi, as uh, dictatorial as he was, acted as a gatekeeper to keep uh, refugees and migrants uh, going uh, across the sea from the Libyan mm -hmm. border, which is enormous if you look on a map. Uh, there's a civil war in Libya. There's a civil war in Syria. Uh, Yemen is a humanitarian catastrophe that might even turn out to be worse than Syria because the Saudi government there is heavily involved in another proxy war. Yemen is widely regarded, well, it's, there's no question that it's the poorest country in the Middle East. It has food problems, water problems. It has civil war. And there's nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, there's no uh, craft uh, boats that it can be used to get from Yemen uh, to Hungary. <laughs> um. The, there's problems in Egypt. There continue to be problems in, obviously, Iraq and Afghanistan. And when Jeb Bush can declare, my brother kept us safe, his big declaration during the debate, <laughs> people kind of said, but wait a minute, wasn't he the president when 9-11 happened? Wasn't he shown briefings about the, the bin Laden threat? Yeah, it's not, it's not, not worried about him. But he wanted to go clear brush. On this ranch in Texas, um, I mean, this is this is remarkable stuff. And of course, many of the other candidates had no uh, substantial performance in the debate uh, worthy of really mentioning. I only say that Kasich, uh, I think, stood out in terms of grounded reality because he he actually pointed out on the issue of. Um, the Iran situation, he said, um, and I'm just quoting from the article the next day after the debate, he said that John Kasich mocked the idea that the deal between Iran and multiple world powers could be summarily discarded, saying Americans operate better in a world when our allies work with us. And he warned Republicans not to shut down the government. That's, a, that's actually a vote of sanity. 
And yeah, we have that'll Car- never that'll never fly in today's Republican Party. <laughs> we have Carly Fiorini. Okay, Shh. you know, talking about what the face on the ten dollar bill. I mean, there's all this trivial nonsense. Uh, okay, she's got a poignant story about her stepdaughter dying of uh, drug abuse, substance abuse, calling for more funding. Where's the, shall we say, uh, matching proposal of raising taxes to do something like this? No mention of that. Completely, the, the debate was almost bereft of economic uh, discussions. It's sad. A lot of, you know, personality nonsense, name-calling. I don't even really know why it's called a debate. Because <laughs> if you've ever participated, as I know you have and many listeners have, in an actual organized, like a high school debate. Sure. You know, yeah, we get something like that later when it's the two main, you know, party candidates. That's an actual... This isn't a debate at all. This is sort of like a... What's a dog and pony show? Yeah. It's all it really is. It's a gong show. Yeah. <laughs> Where is Chuck Barris when we need him? Gong. <laughs> Why not? You know, if uh, Trump is uh, the leading candidate, I think it's time to bring the gong out and put it right up there on stage. The gong or the crook, you know. <laughs> uh, it's uh, just just remarkable stuff. And uh, th- th- by the way, this this Russian development regarding the air uh, sorties and uh, hey, these are Russian pilots. Yeah, I mean there there are airplanes. It's obviously a show of. Uh, Support for uh, uh, Bashir Assad. Uh, and there's a historic relationship between his father's regime and the Soviet Union. Yeah, so. and, and the Syrian uh, military, of course, has uh, Soviet uh, weaponry. No, no mm-hmm. question about this. But I think that one little maybe unspoken message that's been sent in this whole business. Has anybody been talking about the Ukraine for the last two months? Of course not. That's just disappeared from the yeah. topical news. But uh, Putin is obviously wants to be a player again, and he realizes that this refugee crisis uh, in uh, Europe uh, is is a substantial opportunity for him to get back in the good graces of what is, quite frankly, over the years, really been a de facto alliance between the United States. And the former Soviet Union, they were rivals. They weren't enemies. They frequently collaborated on on issues. And it's quite clear that Putin and anybody familiar with Russian history knows it's, you know, they have Islamic problems of their own. Mm-hmm. They do not want. Uh, this is, by the way, one of the reasons they invaded Afghanistan. Precisely. In, in 1979. The United States, uh, if you go back and you objectively analyze that whole situation, can say, hey, wait a minute. (laughs) The Soviets were against Islamic extremism. They didn't want the Iranian revolution spreading into their Muslim countries. There was obviously uh, very unstable political uh, situations in Afghanistan from uh, the 1973 thing that put uh, one of their puppets into power. Uh, the United States was in Afghanistan before the Soviet Union. This is actually documented. This is a fact that Americans don't want to admit. Well, and of course, famously, the uh, Reagan's uh, foreign, you know, uh, secret army team uh, 
assembled the cadre of uh, Islamic fundamentalists known as the Mujahideen. Yeah, through Zia Olhak, who had... This is where Osama bin Laden first emerges. Executed Zulfikar Ali Bhutu. Working uh, for the Yankee dollar. Sort of a, a version of a more Islamic state supported by Wahhabi Saudi money. Mm-hmm. This is a very... This is the reality of what's going on. And these these factions and all these moving parts going on in these proxy wars in the Middle East are not as black and white as some of the critics suggest. I would also point out in the Putin move into Syria, which is token at the moment. It's not a substantial move, but apparently there is a base being built that can house uh, several thousand military advisors. This may also be a message to Israel, because recall, of course, that Israel has threatened to pretty much bomb Iran in connection with this. Uh, well, of course, they do uh, routinely uh, send a sortie up to bomb in Syria, too. So, Yeah. And uh, the ISIS threat, by the way, is not. Uh, I mean, it's real. Uh, just a couple of months ago or just a couple of weeks ago, it was reported uh, that ISIS used mustard gas. Uh, in some attacks uh, in uh, Syria, so chemical weapons have been used in in uh, in the uh, Syrian civil war, probably by both sides. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are factual problems, and it strikes me that at this point, to deal with the continuing and growing uh, refugee crisis in in Europe connected to all of this warfare that there really needs to be a substantial reality check, that there needs to be a a summit of sorts between Iran, uh, Russia, the United States, uh, Assad. I don't think ISIS uh, will have a representative there, but I think (laughs) there probably needs to be a kind of an international consensus that the real enemy in the Middle East at the moment in this region is ISIS. Um, And, you know, we can go on and on about why why all of that is uh, probably the the right way to go forward. The Pope coming to America. That's right. Well, I just wanted to mention really quickly that uh, the brand new Harper's uh, magazine is out. this is the September issue uh, and uh, on ISIS and uh, as a perceived threat uh, real, of course. Yes. But this uh, series of statistics is pretty revealing percentage of people living in Turkey who say they are, quote, very concerned about the Islamic State. Thirty three percentage of people living in Israel who say they are very concerned with uh, the Islamic State. Forty four. Understandable. They're both in the region. Uh, percentage of people living in the United States who say they are very concerned about the Islamic State, 68. So again, the American mindset when it views the world is not one of comfort and security, of knowing that our military is the best funded and best prepared in the world, but just the opposite, insecurity, uh, even paranoia. Uh, Unfortunately, that's been a, a steady strand in uh, American governments. 
uh, for all too many years. But uh, And I think that Fiorini, by the way, showed some incredible naivete, even suggesting that the American military is not feared. Of course it is. Uh, the United States has, by far, heads and shoulders. The biggest imprint in the universe. <laughs> in, in, in the known world, yeah. uh, planet Earth. <laughs> uh, planet, even into space, I would say. <laughs> planet Earth to uh, Carly Fiorini. Uh, but that's not the problem. The problem is that there needs to be political and economic Right. The army is uh, not a, rational a, a thinking cure-all. connected it's, with military policy. Right. You need to think about what's going to happen when we win this war after we've broken the pottery. Uh, to use a metaphor that Colin Powell used with pr- former President George W. Bush when he was talking about going into Iraq. He said, well, you, you break the pottery, you own it. What are we going to do? Well, Bush and Cheney and the neoconservatives were talking boldly about rebuilding the Middle East in some sort of Roman Empire concept. And look at what they've done. That is kind of like, huh? Yeah. You guys uh, are have watched way too many movies <laughs> or something. They pulled a bunch of strings that have unraveled a uh, thousands and thousands of miles of... Uh, uh, you know, so-called nation states. Yeah, chaos. And just for the record, by the way, the uh, Helene Cooper reported on the use of mustard gas on the 15th of August, uh, 19, uh, 2015, in the New York Times about um, the use of mustard gas by ISIS against Kurdish forces. They, of course, are part of this incredibly complex situation that's going on in northeastern Syria and northwestern Iraq. And I think that it's time to uh, go forward on the Iran deal, which is was an example of fruitful negotiations, diplomacy at mm-hmm. its best. Um, and let's remember, this is the Security Council plus Germany doing the inspections, this mythology that Iran is going to be... Run rampant. Well, self-inspecting or something. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to hold up to water. Obviously, there are some minor loopholes in the situation, but it strikes me that this is actually a fairly rational plan of preventing Iran from getting a nuclear weapon. Uh, just like to remind you that you are listening to WCBN FM in Arbor. Yazoo City Calling will be coming up shortly. Yep. Just saw Jerry's arm reach into the engineering room there and uh, signal he's here, so that'll be happening shortly. Back in June, by the way, uh, just to report on something that I think was definitely overlooked this summer, a U.N. human rights report uh, did a, an analysis of the Gaza conflict last year. The report said that 65% of the 2,252 Palestinians killed were civilian Israel says it has documented military activity by at least 44% of the dead. Uh, The report says Israel launched over uh, 6,000 airstrikes on Gaza, and the Palestinian groups fired 4,881 mortars towards Israel. There are, quote, strong indications, unquote, that Israel attacks on Gaza homes could be disproportionate, unquote, and a war crime. So this problem is still... (laughs) Well, and that sort of uh, answers the uh, the question. It's you know this refugee crisis. Every country uh, around uh, 
the world is being asked to absorb some of these refugees, but no one mentions Israel. Right. I don't think anyone wants to go there as a refugee? Well, certainly not Afghanis, Af- Afghanis or, or <laughs> Syrians. Andrew's been our engineer. We're out of time. Do stay tuned to Yazoo City Calling, coming up next on this fine station. People, did y'all know the devil in the wood pile out here this morning? Or Jim down there, Harley? 